right? So this is why I firmly stand on the belief everything can be funny. You can make rape funny, abortion, pedophilia. I don't care what the topic is. Religion, race, creep, everything is on the table, okay? In fact, the scarier it is, the more you should go over there. Mm -hmm. But it's like the scarier it is, the better you have to be as a wordsmith yes. to yes. be able to spin that yarn. Yes. Right? Yes. Comedy is like Olympic diving in the sense that it's like, if you tell a dick joke, that's like a, a seven. You know what I mean? No matter how good it is, the best it could be is a seven. You go up, you go down, we get it. No splash. Mwah, good job. That looks cute. Great dive. <laughs> but when you want to talk about cancer, pedophilia, religion, the vaccine, all those things go into like super high level. The, the transgender, gay, you even you even say the word and the crowd shuts down. Yeah. That's how crazy it is. And to be honest, those are the best jokes. Because they they come from a place of you're you're scared when you hear the person talk about it. And you laugh really hard when you see where the joke went. But you gotta be a good wordsmith. Yes, yes. You, you have, have to have this you have to have the skill first to be yeah. able to Hi everyone, welcome back. This is season four of uh, Shooting the Breeze. And today my guest is Sterling Scott. And Sterling's a comic based out of Alberta. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> so first things first, you're based in Alberta. Did you grow up there? Nah, I'm actually from Scarborough, Ontario. I didn't oh. come out to Edmonton, Alberta until I was in my early 20s. And when I started coming to Alberta, it was because of the fact that there was no jobs in Scarborough. And I came out to Alberta early to find work. And I ended up finding comedy. Wow. And it ended up becoming the thing that I am now doing for the rest of my life. Wow, that's amazing. So how, like, how did, so you went out there for work and how did comedy how did you so, run into comedy? <laughs> the story of comedy is actually an accident. What happened was I wanted to be an actor when I was young. And I don't know if you remember, there used to be back in the day, something called the Much Music VJ Search. Yes. Where they used to look for their new video jockeys. So their first year had like a huge hit because it had um, one, they had like a guy that they, that one that, ended up doing really well. So in the second year, they went hard on promotions. I noticed that every VJ ended up on television. So I thought it was a fast track to get on TV. So I went out and I did the auditions. And I was so good at the auditions that on the commercials that they aired on television, they used my live and video submitted uh, videos. Oh wow! So I thought, okay, I'm I'm gonna make it. You know what I mean? Like I'm always in these videos. Then when I would do the uh, the the they used to do the interviews in the mall live and make you do all kinds of stuff. And I used to have the crowd cheering for me to the point where um, the people knew me by name. Wow. And when I because I went to I said I'm gonna go to every audition and annoy you guys. 
And by the time I went to my second one, they were like, that's Sterling. Do you want to come up now? When do you want to? They started giving me times. They're like, what time do you want to go up? And when do you want to perform? How long do you want? Are you going to sing? Wow. So I'm like, I'm getting this. The TV show comes out and I don't make the cut. I had like a huge party. Everybody was at the house because in the commercials, they kept showing my videos. And even in the actual show, they would air my my performances. And then when they got to the top 10, I didn't make the cut. Oh my God. Um, it turns out the people had known way before in advance and um, they were already in Toronto. I was depressed. I was sad. And my friends took me to a comedy show and they took me to Kenny Robinson's Nubian wow. Night. And I was sitting there front row, never been to a comedy show in my life. And we wanted to get drunk, but we're poor. And they were giving out free bottles of wine for anybody with a talent. And with no provocation, my friend shouts out, my friend is funny. He's a comedian. And, you know, we're young, we're dumb. I'm, they're like, who is? They're like me. They point to me. And I go, fuck it, I'm doing it. And I went up on stage. I don't, they don't do this anymore, but they used to do the talent portion, talent show portion where anybody from the crowd, if they had a talent, they would go on stage. Really? That was in the old days, right? We're talking. The old day of Nubian nights of, of the Nubian show or in general? In general. Uh, no, sorry. On the Nubian show only. Sorry. Okay. So this was 15 years ago. So the Nubian show has evolved since. So I remember it was uh, the DJ that they always have in the back and Kenny, and they brought me on stage and I told the street joke. I didn't even know what a street joke was. It was a joke that I heard and not a lot of people knew the punchline and it got huge laughs. I told the joke and the crowd blew up. I'm then getting the bottles of wine and proceeding to drink the hell out of those <laughs> bottles of wine. We finished the bottles of wine and we're drunk in the back now to go have a smoke. And John Paul is there. It's his birthday tonight at Nubian night. And he's drunk. And he says to me, hey, are you a comedian? I'm drunk. I say, yes, I am. And I'm a comedian from Edmonton, Alberta. That's why you've never seen me before. Oh. And he goes, okay, when are you, how long are you in town? I lived in Scarborough at the time. I'm completely drunk and lying. And I go, well, I'm here all month. And they go, would you like to be on the next show? And I go, yeah, of course. And my first show ever in my life was Kenny Robinson's Nubian Night. Wow. I bombed horribly. <laughs> I bombed so bad. I didn't get to perform on that stage again for another nine or 10 months before I was allowed back on that stage. Wow. But you see, the thing was, I lied my way on stage. And when I got off of the stage, the one thing that I learned was that I didn't have respect for the art form. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. When you watch a really good comedian, they make it look easy. They make it look as if you can do the same thing. Your gestures, the small little things that you do, all of us, a word, a look, a smile, 
How is this crushing? I can do that. And that was my mistake. I thought I can do that. Yeah. Now, it's not that I couldn't do that. It's that I didn't respect the work that requires mm -hmm. to get yes. there. I did thing. try to write jokes. I did. But I was so nervous and I panicked so much. Ugh. Even the thought of this, I can't even, it just, it makes me curl. <laughs> I panicked so much, I decided to perform in a Trinidadian accent. <laughs> and I tried to do like a combination of like D.L. Hughley meets like Doug Stanhope. It was terrible. <laughs> like I was trying to insult people in the crowd. You know, like I told one guy, you're so ugly all your girlfriends give you receipts. Um, <laughs> I, um, and then I try to tell a joke about how, you know, I watched uh, somebody have a baby and like how the woman like pooed on the baby. And so like the doctors were in there um, and it looked like, I can't remember, but there used to be like a dance I can't remember the dance. This is long, but it was like a side to side dance. And so like, I was like, and then they're doing this thing dance to get out of the way. And um, I did terrible. <laughs> and um, I then moved to Edmonton in the summer. And I was like, you know what? I know why I bombed. And I now can fix that. And I sat down and I worked on the jokes. I watched a lot of comedy and I began my career in Edmonton. My very first show of all time was Nubian Night, but I started my career in Edmonton. And I just started going out and failing miserably until I found the ability to take what is funny between two people in a conversation and translate it to put on stage to make it funny for 400 strangers. And I'm still working on that craft to this day because comedy is like life in that the day you say you know everything is the day you put the glass ceiling on your ability to grow. Because comedy, like life, it evolves. Yes. Comedy today may not be comedy tomorrow. Comedy in America may not be comedy in Jamaica. Comedy is consistently changing, consistently evolving based on who we are as people. What we think is funny, what we allow to be funny, what is social, what is happening. So the day you say, I know everything, is the day that you know nothing. And so that's why with comedy, I, I bonded to it so hard because you could do comedy till the day you die. You can do comedy as long, as long as the love is there, you can do it. Unlike athletes who play until they're 30 and then they have to retire or 36. And when they're 40, they're making fun of them and calling them ancient mm -hmm. in comedy. When you hit 40, we just say, welcome. Like, okay, now you're, if you've been doing it for, you know, 10, 12 years and up and now you're here forties, you're now being welcomed in. It's like, oh, you just got broken in. Because, <laughs> you know, when you hit that 40-year-old mark, if you look at all of the greatest stand-up comedians you've ever seen, in the exception of Eddie Murphy, who recorded those specials at 22 years 22. old and 25, um, every comedian you could ever think of 
was in their mid 30s to damn near 70 when they were at their peak and prime. And that's because they are constantly evolving their art, but also you're evolving as a person. Yes. Step one was learn how to be funny. That's step one. But as any good comedian will tell you, once you learn how to be funny, that's not enough. Being funny is okay, but what's funny to you? What's important to you? What are you saying? Why are you even saying it? Why are you here? When those questions start to arise, you start to see the act evolve and change. And that comes with maturity. And mm-hmm. comics, being immature individuals already, it takes a little longer for us to mature. But at the same time, too much maturity is bad because we still have to have childlike wonder. Yes. Because we have to be able to not take ourselves and society so seriously because some of us do satire comedy you know uh you know there's that's a whole other thing i mean that's trail off the point (laughs) is that that through failing i learned how to be great and with any stand-up comedian's performance what you're watching is the polished version you didn't see the thousands of hours of work behind it and so when i failed on stage i was glamorizing what i saw as the polished product but if a real comic talks to you what the glamorization is or should be is held in the work and because i never put in the work i almost got booed off the stage at nubia night and so to this day I put in a lot of work. I know like when people meet me, I'm very silly, fun, drinking, smoking, (laughs) laughing. That's because the work has been done. If anybody who has ever watched me perform, you will know that I, if there's anything about me, when I get on stage, the performance is consistently good. And that's because if I'm fooling around outside, I did that work two days ago, you know, like yeah. that set's been planned. Like, you know, when you start out, yes. And you're doing new jokes to this day with new jokes. Or when you start out, you may be nervous, change your set list. Um, you know, what am I going to say? But when you get a lot of material, I have between two and a half to three hours of material. I'm going to say two and a half. Anytime someone says two, 15, two, 20, they got seven. So let's just say I have two and a half. So the most shows are 45 minutes on stage, 45 to 40 minutes when you headline. I have two and a half hours. My process is a little different now because I've put in the work to make two and a half hours of material. When I go to the show, my material are now tools like on a tool belt. And I look at the show and I go, This show's broken. How do I fix it? Now, what's broken about it? They want to laugh. They need to laugh. They need to be constantly laughing. What tools do I have that will work for this situation? See, most people, when they start out, you got a hammer and a wrench. Mm -hmm. And then some of us don't even have that. Some of us have two hands. You know, you've seen a lot of two-hand comics where it's like, God damn, I hope you get some tools. (laughs) Um, But you start out with like a hammer. 
the one good joke, bang. And someone says, fantastic. It relates to, to you know, strong, independent women in their 30s. Bang, you crush with that joke. But then you go to a university with 18-year-old boys. That joke doesn't fly. Well, now you need a new tool. Mm -hmm. They need a screwdriver. You develop one. And so on and so on and so on. So when I walk in, the reason why I'm so silly and, you know, off the wall before shows is because the minute I walk into that crowd, I can assess the audience. And for young comics, assessing the crowd is when you walk into a show and you look around and you can tell what kind of show you're going to get into. So is it a fundraiser? Is it a club night? Are they drunk? Is there a bachelorette party? How many males? How many females? How many couples? How old are they? Um, are they talking a lot? Are they quiet? Is there a big dance floor in the middle? How far is the stage? Where is the stage? Yeah. All of these things are part of assessing. The more you do comedy, the more you will naturally come to assess. So when I walk into a room and I assess it, I know what tools I need. And when I'm on stage, although I may go with a plan, all that gets abandoned the minute I look into that crowd and see what they actually need. Because uh, when you stick, this is why I don't like tape specials, because they're rigid. You can't change a word. You can't yes. change the emotion. You can't interact. You're not being real. So I hate that. I always love the club shows because it's honest. You're connecting to those people in that room. This is why sometimes people will watch a video, hear the crowd dying of laughter and be like, I don't like that joke. It's like, yeah, you weren't there. Mm. You weren't in the room. You didn't see how this person set up and made this joke happen. I'm pretty sure a lot of people have seen a lot of times when a comedian will tell a joke and people are like, oh, this person's not funny. Oh, this person's not as good as this. I saw this person live and they're way better. First off, live comedy is like a home cooked meal. TV comedy is a microwave dinner, all right? So you can't compare the two, but people don't understand this about yeah. our art form. In fact, people don't really even understand our art form because of how new it is. So I'll get into that part later. <laughs> I keep straying off. Um, but that's where my comedy roots began. My first ever performance, shout out to Kenny Robinson, who is a mentor and my friend. And I'm happy to call him my friend because he is a goddamn legend oh, yes. in the Canadian comedy scene. In fact, I would say he's one of the most important comedic figures and the most underrated because what he's brought to the table was he gave breath and life to a lot of comedians who never would have seen the light of day. Because as much as people in Canada want to deny it, the systemic racism that is involved in our society affects us as comedians. Two black comedians on the show all of a sudden becomes a black show, yes. but two white comics on the show is just a show. It's just a show. Yeah. Why can't we just be a show? Now you see, we have to deal, and these are things, these are hurdles that, you know, a lot of comics don't understand or never have to relate to. But I always tell the comics, the white comics, I go, do you ever do Nubian night? And they go, no, that's terrifying. I go, do you realize every single show I do is like Nubian night for you? Yes, yes. And yet you I guys will look me thing. in the eye and tell me funny is funny 
and there is no prejudice or racism. Yeah. But if there is no prejudice or racism, why are you as a white comic scared to go to a black room? You're not going to get beat up. You're not going to get robbed. You're not going to get stabbed, right? You're going to a comedy show. It just happens to be that they're black. Yeah. Why are you scared now? Yeah, you're scared now, exactly. When I have to perform for 70-year-old white people, you know what they say to me? Oh, come on, Sterling. Let it go. Yeah, I get the same thing, yeah. But they don't understand that those 70-year-old white people, if it wasn't them, their family and friends picketed against us. They hate us. When I walk in the room, they're like, we didn't even want you to drink from the same water tap exactly. as Exactly, yes. Much less have you be performing. In the room with us? Yeah, exactly. Disgusting. Didn't, aren't there secret walls for the help? Like, mm -hmm. they don't understand that we have to work 10 times harder because black shows happen two, three times a year. Yeah, February. Let's be realistic. <laughs> they don't happen very often. Yeah. White shows are what we do 99.9% .9 of the time. And so there's all these different hurdles that we have to jump over. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> My comedy career began in Edmonton, Alberta. I was a young, dumb comic who just wanted to make people laugh. And 15 years later, I'm an old, dumb comic who just wants to make people laugh. So that's where I began. That that's my origin cool. story. Yeah. That is very, very cool. So you said that uh, the the very first show that you did in Toronto, you were out with some buddies. What mm -hmm. was the first show in Edmonton like? like did the you first have show in Edmonton was at Yuck Yucks. And it was at Yuck Yucks in London Dairy Mall. And... Um, they had an open mic night and this was a massive club uh in londonderry mall stupid move it could seat 500 but was in a bad area so okay. you know it's far away from everybody else it's in a bad neighborhood nobody went so this massive size club and i remember howie miller was headlining that night and it was my second time on stage uh yuck yucks amateur uh night on a i believe there was a monday they stood on and the crowd was empty very sparse about 15 to 12 people and uh in a room that fits 500 yeah it was wow. cavernous it was cavernous it was really <laughs> yeah. bad yeah so i went on stage and i had you know a decent set this time i got laughs and you know i was like oh excited you know like I'm getting a little better. Um, I didn't have any guidance or mentors. And being the young black comic who's an amateur, it's already hard enough as it is to get on stage, uh, period. And in Alberta, they only had a small amount of rooms. So in my first year of comedy, I only performed 12 times. I was only allowed on stage once a month. Wow. And so nowadays, comedians uh, in Edmonton brag how they do up to 100 shows in their first year which goes to show how much comedy has changed and how much it's boomed and evolved in alberta since i started when i started you had to take that five minute set and you better go home and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite for a month wow. now it had negative effects because of the fact that you have to be on stage in order to sharpen that blade to become a great comic, but it gave me a benefit. It gave me the benefit of having to perform in my head. I had to learn how to perform, see the audience, 
every audience and have them all in my head be on a stage and start telling the jokes and seeing this audience and letting them react. What that did was it allowed me to self-edit. And self-editing is what allows you to take your first draft of a joke that is trash. All first drafts are yes. trash. Yes. <laughs> and turn it into the polished art that makes it look like he's fooling around or seamless it's or off the top of your head. pulling this off. It's beautiful. If somebody comes to you and says, did you just make that up? That's a huge compliment. That's a huge compliment because they feel like they just experienced something that just happened. Yeah. It's something just, spontaneous. It wasn't. It wasn't yeah. And the thing is, what's beautiful about that is in the small rooms, you can have that. You can't have that on the big shows. Like when you do stadiums, or anything over 3,000, it's now an act. Now what's good, that's another thing that uh, you learn as you grow, uh, especially to all young comics listening, you can't perform the exact same way in every single room. It changes. Yeah, the, I'm, you're in I'm a learning with that less now. people, yeah. you perform with less energy. When you do too high energy, it sounds like you're yelling at them, they're gonna feel like accosted and they won't respond. When you're performing in a noisy crowd, you have to perform loud. You can't perform meek and timid because they don't really care that yeah, you're there. Yeah, they're just going to overpower so you, don't, you. Yeah. Right. And if you, so if you're a comic who's like, hey, how you doing? Da, 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 they don't care. They're not going to care. You have, now's your time to be loud. So you see the quiet comic would have crushed in the little room and the loud comic would have crushed in the big room. But unfortunately, that person was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and now thinks they're not good. So you see how our art form is so difficult yes. and why I'm like, I want to touch on these things to let people know, hey, listen, comedy is complex. It and is. until you find your voice, you will not really know who your audience is. And when you don't know who your audience is, you can't be offended by what they say. If they don't like you, they don't like you. You're not their cup of tea. Steak tastes delicious, but it'll never be eaten at a vegan restaurant. Right. Does it mean right. that the steak was not good? No, it just it's means not, you're it's not for them. Yeah. So I learned how to self-edit and learned how to fit in the right place. Because I had to start out performing in small rooms. I have a big personality, loud. So it was abrasive. It was too much, you know? So then I had to learn how to dip it down. But then when I was in a big show, it didn't work. I had to go bigger. So then I learned small show, different energy. Club show, completely different energy. Theater show, different energy. Stadium show, way different energy. Mm -hmm. Right? Stadium and theater, you're no longer doing crowd work. You're no longer talking to the people. You're not connecting. Now they're just watching your act. Right. And all you can have as a sign of affirmation that's positive is the laughter. And that's all you you can't crowd work, can't crowd work in a theater, can't crowd work in a stadium. Right. Especially when people are 500 feet away from you. Exactly. And I was going to so, say they're not close enough. No. And then if you do them. that, the people can't relate. In a room of 300, the best size room is 300, I'd say. 300 people is the max for what I would call the best way to, to, to take comedy because in a 300 people, 200 people, even room, 
everybody can see everything and you know if i mm -hmm. talk to a person they heard that person right. if i'm referring to someone they can look at that person they're right there and so everything in the room is connected that's where i find comedy to be at its best not on a theater not in a mm -hmm. stadium 200 people room packed yeah. tightly packed low ceiling completely black one light on the stage focusing on the comedian people keep trying to do tv shows and all kinds of weird shit to make comedy digestible and acceptable to the public the problem is they're putting on trap trash comics uh and they just don't know how to pick they don't know what good comedy is they look at instagram followers um you know popularity with other people but they don't really know what good comedy is and so what happens is they try to do all these frills comedy doesn't need any of that good comedy needs low ceilings tightly packed room completely black one light on stage that's yeah, it. The intimacy. It's very that's intimate. That's it. Yeah. yeah, man. And I wish people would understand. You know how many shows I've done where, oh my God, they'll do all kinds of weird things. You ever have a show where they go, oh, we're going to put a band on before you? Yeah. It's like, please don't. <laughs> they don't understand. But you see, that's the thing, though. They don't understand how bad that is. Yeah. When you put a band on, you've created a different set of energy. People that go to watch bands talk. Yes. Comedy is yes. like watching a movie in a movie theater. You have, if you watch a movie in a movie theater, you're not even supposed to take your cell phone out because people yes. will be like, your light distracts me. And people understand that for the most part. Yeah. Right. But in a comedy show, people don't understand. It's the same thing. And so what happens is the moment you look at your friend to be like, what drink are you buying? Everything I'm saying here, you now lost. Now, when you come back, you're like, what did he say? Oh, he's not funny. I don't know. You missed the punchline. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that's why it's like and really important to understand that comedy doesn't need all those frills. Mm -hmm. It just it's a good comic. A good comic. You don't yeah. need no no big hip hop show or no concert or no light show or none of that, man. If you're a good comic, you just need a mic, a stool, and a crowd. Yeah, it's it, true. It's that's true. purity. That's the purity of yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. so yeah that's where i uh uh edmonton getting back to the point i drift a lot <laughs> edmonton getting back to the point my first show at yuck yucks was a very sparse show but because of the fact that i got laughs it gave me confidence but it also because of the fact that i had one month to my next show it gave me time to edit self-editing is one of the most important things in comedy you have to learn how to cut the fat you have to learn to be subjective to your own self mm -hmm. and you have to be your own uh toughest critic and you have to be honest you can't have what they call in the industry tin ears you can't go on tin ears is it when you tell a joke and one person laughs and you go i killed and it's like no 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 no. that one person laughed and they're probably laughing at the fact that you're failing you have to be able to understand when a joke is actually working there's a difference between uh getting a laugh and killing there's a huge difference. Oh, yeah, for and sure. A lot of comics have, I'm pretty sure you've done this in your career because I've seen you before and you're a very talented comedian. Um, there's comedians who will come up to you and be like, I, I, I thought I did great. And then you went on and erased my entire set. 
like I don't even exist anymore. And it's like, yeah, there's there's different types of laughter. <laughs> there's, oh, that was nice. Yeah. And then there's like, oh my God, that was hilarious. And then there's my favorite where it's tears, no sound. Yeah, yeah, where they're choking almost, they're dying. <laughs> Oh, my no. favorite, my my next favorite is <sighs> when you're done, when because like that's when they get that that relieve like yeah. that was like a good laugh thing. <sighs> <sighs> you know, there's different types. It's that's, that's so true. I love and, my one of my favorites is when I can see someone and they're like this. Yes, I love that. I love like I the love non it. the 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 non sound. Yes, uh, you hit a different level. Yeah, you I love it. A, you I hit love a it. different level and and it's <laughs> it's a beautiful thing and that uh takes time to learn how to build so having a month in between um and obviously going to a day job wasn't ideal but i used it to the best of my abilities and that's something that all comics should understand whatever your situation is is your situation you can't look around and say well they have this so that's why they're there and i'm not mm. you have to grow and evolve out of that because that mentality will always hold you back yeah if you're not happy with where you are move if you're not getting if there is no stage time uh create it if you can't create it okay how much do you really love this art form this is an a long 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 ride i am 15 years in and i am just you know a regular guy pays his bills and that's about it. Like, I just have a regular life. Like, I'm not, you know, anything special. And that's after 15 years. And uh, so if you're in comedy for the money, leave. Yeah. It, oh, it, yeah. It, anytime someone comes to me and they're like, first year in, second year in, and they're talking to me about how they can make money, I know they won't last long. Because even at five years, nobody gives a fuck who you are. In fact, at five years, you're just, we just go, okay, so you started, you know, yeah. like <laughs> at 15 years in, when I go to Los Angeles or, or New York or all those places, 15 years, but because I'm from Canada, they go, all right, we'll give you five. LA, wow. they'll give you three. Cause they're like, uh, that, that don't, that don't translate to us. You know, they're used to superstars and stuff like that. So they don't really, they're like, I don't really know. Why don't, why don't I know you? You're from Canada. We don't know. No, I'm like, oh, do you watch CBC? And they go, no. I go, well, then you ain't gonna see my shows. Like, what do you want from me? Do you have Crave? No. Then you ain't gonna see my shows. Like all my TV, I'm like, I'm on CTV comedy. You have CTV, CBC? Comedy network? No, none of those things. So because nothing translates, the only thing that does is your ability to perform. And because I had to perform in my head, because I had 30 days in between my sets and I had to learn how to write and rewrite and self-edit, it allowed me to advance so much that my first showcase ever for Just for Laughs, I was in my fourth year of comedy and they moved me into, back in those days, they used to do um, one show and it used to go 10 comics, the first five, 10 to 12. The first five to six were performing for um, what we used to, they now call it the Canadian New Faces. 
but back in those days it was called homegrown and it was a comedy competition and oh. the the other five performed to try to get gala spots in my first year i was moved to a gala spot and zoe who uh retired actually zoe retired from uh just for laughs recently that's what i heard that she retired shout out this. shout out zoe uh jfl i will no longer at JFL, but she said she's on to new and bigger and better things and so we're looking forward to you so zoe if you're listening i can't wait to see you out there in the world um Zoe goes to uh, the manager at the Laugh Shop in Calgary. Uh, who is Sterling Scott and why is he so deep in the lineup? Because I was second last. And they go, you've never heard of Sterling Scott? And she's like, no, because they don't care about people on the West Coast. Sorry to tell you, but uh, the Canadian comedy scene is very, very... Uh, how can I say Indigenist? this? <laughs> yes, they are. They okay. absolutely are. So they, when they favor what, grown, like Central yeah, they and only Eastern? pick Toronto. Yeah, they just want Toronto people because, you know, they're there. Well, they don't wow. care about what happens in the West. In fact, many years have gone by where Just for Laughs wouldn't even do showcases in certain provinces. And there was many, many years where you would never see uh an albertan saskatchewan manitoba you wouldn't see any of those comedians at just for laughs they would actually send toronto comedians and say they were from our cities they used to do that yeah wow Um, no idea yeah so like you know you had to learn how to uh grow and be able to perform in all spaces so at my first show with you know, now this is four years in. So we went from one year doing 12 shows to now four years. But I had the tools of self-editing, of performing in my head, and of understanding how to value your time. Young comics, please understand, if you're at a show, it's like going to the gym. You know what I'm saying? Do your best or you're wasting your time. You're wasting the time of the audience. You're wasting your time and you're wasting everybody else's. So I learned that because I didn't have a lot of it. And you had so to make the most of the time exactly, that you got. Yeah. Yes. And I wish now I do on average, I perform about three to four hours per week now. On average, I don't even say shows anymore. I used to say how many shows, but in a day, I could do three shows, but they're all five-minute spots. Oh, I see. You know? I see. Yeah, that, so, that's a big differentiation. Huge Shows versus, versus time, yeah. Yes. So if you go, oh, I perform five times a week, and I go, that's dope. You perform 30 minutes, you know, <laughs> at best. Yeah. Right? Whereas I have more time developing the act. The, like, um, have you ever done an hour yet? no it's exhausting no, no. one I'm, hour I'm consistently doing 20 now i'm working towards yeah. 30 and 20 Your first minutes hour is, exhausting. is literally <laughs> exhausting yeah. like you're sweating you come off the stage and you're tired and you're like if you have to do two shows you're like yeah i need that hour and a half break you you honestly give of yourself emotionally to this audience if you're a good comic i find you give to that audience you feed you pump 
the energy out of your blood right into that crowd. But now you're tired and they go, mm-hmm, do it again, 1030. Yeah, you gotta do it again. And with the and same like, intensity and the same energy, yeah. Right, the same yeah. energy. And then you can't like, go up there and be like, oh, blah, blah, blah. you gotta yep. bring it, yeah. Nobody cares if you're yeah. sick, if you're tired, if you're angry, nobody cares. Nobody cares. And you know, these are things that I wish young comics understood and learn early. Some of them aren't cut from the cloth, you know, and they give up way too much time and take up way too much space. Um, but uh, when I performed at Just for Laughs and I was moved to second last in the lineup, I performed to the point where they thought I was showcasing for a gala. And I ended up getting homegrown on my first try. And wow. uh, in my first year, I was uh, my first year of showcasing. I got Just for Laughs, um, the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, and Halifax Comedy Festival at the same time. Wow. I got all in one year, uh, in my fourth year of comedy. That's amazing. And so, so, the, so what people saw was, oh my God, this guy's only four years in. How the hell did he pull that off? What they didn't see is for yeah, four years, of hours of I had to put hours into working. I genuinely... Once I walk out the door, the work has been done. And so if you see me in public, I'm very silly. I'm very <laughs> celebratory all the time. Let's party, let's get drinks. Who's getting a drink? You want to do that? I remember I was there one yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you would never look at that guy and think he puts in eight hours of work to do that show. When people go, well, how much time do you need to get ready for a big show? It's six hours. Six hours before the show is is when I start working. And uh, I don't know how many people put in six hours of work to go to work. Yeah. Welcome to the world. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but there's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah, there's That's a lot why. to go into. Yeah. Right. That's why I'm so free when I'm out there. The only time I need to not be that kind of free anymore is the moment when we have to flip that switch you know what i'm talking about when you have to turn from the person to the comedian when mm -hmm. you're like hey i'm about to go on stage i just need a second yeah, yeah. it's like that one <laughs> second where it's like i'm now no I'm longer now. you know what i'm saying <laughs> yes. you need that second you need that let me switch. <laughs> i mean you could do it on stage but it's like it's rocky for the first five minutes you know you need mm -hmm. that okay there's the switch yes i'm now a comic Yes. I'm now on, I'm on. And now when you go on stage, now the crowd working and everything, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And we all I, do it in a different way. We all do it differently. Like yeah. some people need like an hour before of just like being quiet and in their own thing. Mm -hmm. Some people just need a few minutes. Like I usually go off for maybe 10, 15 minutes before, before I go on, like halfway through the, the previous person set just to reset yeah. myself and then i'm ready to go people you know don't but like that. you said people... beforehand like i've also put work in before i've even gotten to the venue so i'm like partly there yep. and i just need that you know that last 15 minutes to just yeah you know so everybody exactly. does it differently yeah that's switch. it's the switch over it's the becoming the comedian 
because you're not on all the time. That's disgusting. Yeah, you Anybody can't be. who's on all the time, they're annoying. Mm. But like once that switch is flipped, you know, it's like the adrenaline starts pumping, you know, your brain starts moving at a speed so fast that you produce words faster than you could even think them. Um, you know, your senses are heightened. People don't get these things. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and, they think it's just like, oh, get up there and do whatever. And it's like, don't, right. it's so much more involved than that. Right. <laughs> and so now coming off of getting just for laughs, I was still an inexperienced young comic. You know, realistically, I had a fire 30 minutes, but that was about it, you know, and there was still so much more to learn before I got to where I am right now. And there's still so much more to learn because mm -hmm. comedy, we are sitting on the precipice of the comedy as it evolves again, it's evolved, it's taking shape again. Um, you know, like if you go back to the nineties, it was different from the eighties. And if you look in the two thousands and in the 2020s, it's, it's, it's hard because we've come into this age of don't talk about me. If you talk about me, you hate me. And, but you know, they'll, they'll laugh at a fat joke, but then get mad at a gay joke or laugh at white people are like this but they get mad if you say black people are this you know what i'm saying like we've come into this where it's like whatever group you represent you don't want them to to laugh at you like there's nothing to laugh at about yeah. us <laughs> and unfortunately it's a time of evolution for all of us uh but the thing with evolution is it's slow so what we're learning is one uh, there's a lot of sensitive people out there Two, yeah. our society has changed to now hear the voice of the sensitive and respect them. You go back to the year 1996 and you tell somebody you can't, not all females, not all women are female and they would punch you in the head Yeah, and then they would send you on your way. And everybody would agree. If you do that today and say, no, not all women, only females are women. If you said that today, they would punch you in the head. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> said you on your way. You're done so you here. See, <laughs> you have to evolve with it and you have to learn how to speak to the people. Right now, they're sensitive. They're hurt. They're angry, they're confused, they're lost. So now that I've identified that, how can I put a right combination of words together to let them know it's okay to laugh? Yeah. And that's what makes you a wordsmith. You have to take all the words that the English language has and find the right combination to elicit an emotional response out of a human being every 30 to 45 seconds. That is insane. <laughs> exactly. And a human being that you don't know. <laughs> complete, a room full of complete yeah. strangers. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> like when you put it that way, it's like, why do we do this? Like, oh, yes. 
Uh, like, oh my just, god! You know, but yeah, you're if doing my that. My mom hugged me a little bit more. I wouldn't have this. I need attention. Every comedian, every comedian in the world has the look at me gene. Yeah. That's what I call it. Oh, for it. sure. Look at for me sure, gene. we all have you're, it. You're like you're. Think about it. You're on a stage with a microphone and a spotlight. You're literally saying, "Look." At look at me. me no one else is on the stage with you i love when people look at me and listen <laughs> look at me look at look at me yes <laughs> look at me right. and you say jokes to keep them there like, yeah just... and then if they don't laugh it's like why aren't you laughing why aren't... you know now you're just like okay, what's your problem let's talk <laughs> yeah, to you what's wrong? <laughs> what's wrong what did i do amazing, <laughs> like, amazing. Yes. what's your problem so, like... <laughs> Every comedian has that in them. Oh, absolutely. You want to be seen and you want to be accepted. Yes. I don't care if you're alt, if you're whatever, and you're like, yeah. oh, I don't care. No. Yeah, you do care because then you, you wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> exactly. You wouldn't be you're there. Not, you're not being up there so that everyone can hate you. You just haven't found your audience. Just be honest. <laughs> yes. That's not your exactly. crowd. Okay. So take your triangle. And your uh, shirt with a dragon on it, and whatever other ulti things you planned on doing on that stage, and go find your space. I'm sick of people in this. Go find your people. Exactly. Yeah, man. Like comedy <laughs> is uh, comedy is a very, very close to real life, in the sense that as a comedian, how we relate and talk to people is by looking at the world and then reporting it to them. That's what we do. Yeah. We talk about relationships. We talk about, you know, family, kids, my mom. My th- All we're doing is taking the world and bringing it to that crowd in a way that they could never express. What makes them laugh when they go, yeah, that is true, you know? What's the deal with airplanes? Yeah, what is the deal with airplanes? <laughs> like, remember the peanuts? It's like, yeah, the peanuts suck. So all we've done <laughs> is take this world that we live in and give our perspective on it in a humorous manner. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as the world is growing, we have to grow with it. We can't, like I started comedy Back in like 2009, I think it was, nine or eight, way back. And in those days, you know, you could tell gay joke, fat joke, suicide, pedophile, school shooting. Nobody batted an eye. In fact, they didn't give a shit. They loved it. Fast forward 10 years. They'll fire you for it. So the passion for stand-up comedy, this is where it comes in. Because as you said, why the hell are we doing it? (laughs) Why are we here? And it's a deep love uh, for myself personally. It's a deep love uh, for the sound of laughter. Whenever I'm in a room full of people, and they're not laughing, I know, and I could sense and feel, and I know a lot of comics can do too, where you're like, you're able to sense and feel the emotions in the room, the anxiety, the tension, the fears. And those emotions tend to 
rub off on me. And I'm like, why is this so tense? Why is everyone so anxious? Why is everyone scared? Who? And the comedy in me allows me to erase all of it. And so my entire life, I have been using comedy as a tool to eliminate anxiety, fear, stress, sometimes even fights uh, in society, in my life, in society, in crowds, in schools, wherever. And I've become addicted to it. And, um, you know, I'm even seeing right now the grays in my beard (laughs) and I laugh. I laugh because I remember I started as a short-haired, fresh-faced comic, (laughs) you know, they used to call the kid. And uh, now I am considered, and I hate saying it, I'm considered a vet. Now I'm considered <laughs> like I'm one of the old guys. Like the when, old they say, guys. <laughs> when they say, yo, you got to bring out an old experienced comic. Now I'm the one that comes out like, <laughs> like, like an old lion coming out of a cave. <laughs> and um, it's funny to me because I still feel like a child. I still feel so young and I still feel like there's so much left for me in comedy. And I'm so happy that I chose comedy. I mean, I wanted to be an athlete and, you know, I'm envious of singers. I think singing is the absolute coolest oh, me too. thing in I the world. I can't sing to save myself, but oh, I wish I could. I, I wish I could too, yeah. but I can't. Yeah. And I just want, I love singers because I love eliciting emotions from people but the only uh, emotion that we pull is joy. Mm-hmm. We pull laughter. We pull joy. That's, yeah. how, that's what we do. Sometimes shock. <gasps> I can't believe yeah. that. Mainly joy. Yeah. Music can bring. It pulls everything. 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 I've been moved I mean? to tears by music. Yo, real talk. Yeah. I was watching a Netflix show and it was supposed to be a horror movie. And it turned out to be with the soundtrack and everything in the background, one of the saddest TV series ever. And all, oh. yo, what is it called? I, I'm going to find it and tell it to you. But <laughs> yo, when I tell you, yo, the music in it and the way they play it, like that little piano, boom, 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 boom. boom. Or the, you, you know, there are movies where it's just one key, ding, yes. ding, ding, ding. Yes. I'm like, and it's a, it's a 17 year old girl. <laughs> talking to another boy who has terminal cancer about going to prom and they're just bing 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 and it's and he's like it sounds like it's one of those little toy pianos oh yo and i'm like like every ping was a teardrop it's like ping 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 i know i know exactly like music has always been my absolute uh i'm jealous of all singers But I'm so happy that I get to do this. When you do a good show, and I mean a good show, like you go into, you walk into a crowd, they're having a good time. They came to laugh. There's a big difference between the crowd that comes to laugh and the crowd that shows up expecting you to make them laugh. Big different energy. For sure. sure. They come to have a good time. Which, by the way, if you're a crowd member and you're watching this, go to shows to have fun. Don't go to shows to criticize. What are you doing? Yeah. Stay when home. When you have sex, do you pull a checklist do. and check them down and be like, oh, I didn't like the way you did this. No. 
comedy you get out of comedy whatever you put into it yourself as the audience member so if you go to have a good time understand that person on stage is just trying to make you laugh so once you understand that and you're like he's being silly yeah laugh yeah you know what i'm saying but once you do a good show the feeling you have when you come off stage it's so high that you don't come down for like the first hour i would say at least an hour you feel like you're floating like you're on air it's one of the biggest drugs i have ever become addicted to that feeling like i can't even sleep i don't even bother to. oh yeah when i come home from a show it's hours before my brain like i usually uh, go to sleep I have to smoke weed to bring it down because it's like your soul. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and then you're like, calm down, calm down. We're in public. We yeah. can't. Like, you want to cheer. I want to yeah. scream. I want to punch things and be like, mm-hmm. I just did it. Like, yeah. I just I did it. Did you fucking hear them laughing? I just wrote that joke. <sighs> That's what you, but you have to hold it in because you look crazy. You look crazy. That's true. And, and that, <laughs> feeling that rush like i've literally um gone to bars or shisha bars hookah bars smoke hookah or smoke weed to just come down liquor just sends it to the roof it's too Mm -hmm. much i start talking too much and i still think i'm funny and then i end up (laughs) drunk talking to people and i'm not that funny (laughs) it's such a rush i become addicted to that drug but i've also become addicted to the camaraderie um when you meet comedians when you're young um you're all friends but it's like going to war some of y'all ain't making it back you know every time you go to the club there's always one less comic one less friend one person who got a day job moved away got married my wife don't like it i got pregnant and you lose them like soldiers of war yeah. I told a young comic, I don't even want to know your name till you're in year five because you're just wasting my time. Mm. <laughs> and he was like, what? <laughs> year five? But what he didn't realize is I'm like, this game is for life. Like, we're soldiers for life. So, I mean, how long have you been in comedy? I just passed three years. Okay. Yeah. Take a picture at three years with all your comedy buddies. Take a look at it 10 years from now. Some of them will be dead. Some yeah. will be gone. Some of them will quit. You know what I'm saying? I There was a picture of us celebrating in my sixth year of comedy. It was celebrating a show. There was 45 comedians on stage. We took a picture. I looked at that picture recently and laughed. There's only seven comedians still active in that seven picture. Seven out of like seven, 45? 45, yeah. Yeah. They used to do 30 people shows at that place. And now, no way you could do those numbers. And it just, it's its a war, you know? And um, wow. the camaraderie is built through, you know, we understanding what we have to go through. And then we travel, you know? When you start traveling, you're no longer with those young friends. Those young friends travel. You travel. And you guys both become great comics separately. Mm-hmm. And then one day... You go to a festival and there they are. And you get to see not just them, but their work. When you, nothing makes me happier than watching somebody I haven't seen in a year crush. 
with new material. Oh, because it's like you, you, I cheer on the growth. I will never, I'm a very harsh critic of comedy, but I will never not give roses to the people who are killers. Like if I say you're a killer, you're a killer. Like off the top of the dome, Ivan Decker is, if you ever see him, absolute killer, you know, certified. Any situation goes, killer. Uh, and when I see somebody who does that, like Sonny Dollywall, oh my oh, God, that yeah, guy is dude. funny. Naturally funny, off the top funny, and stupid handsome, ridiculously <laughs> handsome. Six foot four and good. He turns and he smiles. Skin. My sister like fell off her chair. <laughs> yeah, he's stupid <laughs> handsome. He's ridiculous. And then he's got this beautiful smile. And then when he hits the stage, it's just like that's the guy I want to hang out with in high school. You know, like I give roses. You know what I'm saying? Arthur Simeon, fuck oh, out of here. You want to go to a show and feel like you're trash? Go listen to Arthur Simeon kill in front of you. Because you'll be like, what is happening? What is happening? What is he even talking about? I'm dying here. So you see, like, I have no issues giving them roses. Um, but I will say that nothing is better than watching those same people develop and grow and become better. And so when you watch that and then we laugh, we talk and comedians are funny at, with friends too. You know, like we've always had to be the life of the party. When you are sitting down in a circle of comics at, that are all the life of the party, it's the best feeling in the world to watch <laughs> these professionals like you'll make a joke and then watch somebody watch that joke bounce around the circle and it gets better as it goes around the circle. Yeah. Because when you talk with regular people, you tell the joke, they laugh, it stops. And that's it. They wait yeah. for you to do another one. They go, ah, uh -huh. the comics were all tagging each other. We just keep adding yeah. tags. And they just pass it around like an amazing <laughs> ball. And then there's that always that one comic that'll say something and they pop the ball. And then we all make fun of them for popping the ball. And then we pass around that insult. That's <laughs> so true. Comedians are That's way so more fun true. to talk to. And the understanding of being a road dog, the understanding of what it goes through. When I say to somebody, yeah, I got a corporate with a 50-foot dance floor and a bunch of old white people, they'll go, <laughs> And then people will be like, yeah, but you're getting paid so much money. I was like, you don't. Listen, yeah. I'm not here for the money. I'm here for the funny, yeah. you know? If you offered me $3,000 to do a bad gig and there was another good gig for 2500 and it was like fire, I would take twenty five. I would take a $500 pay cut to not Same. go to that show. Same. And people would go, what? And I go, yeah. you don't do what we do. Exactly. I don't know what it is, but there's nothing worse than that feeling in your stomach for a bad show. You ever have that when you're like, yes. it's going to be bad. And then, it, but it's going to be bad. Everyone knows it's going to be bad, but they're looking at you like you have to be good. And you're like, yeah, but this sucks. <laughs> all of it sucks. Like, like, it sucks. Why is it all on me? <laughs> yeah. The lights are on. There's a dance floor here. Yes. Nobody showed up. 
the DJs on stage with me. I don't understand how you want me to, and then they'll go, well, if you're funny, it'll work. Listen, I can be good in bed, but I'm not going to be good standing up in a telephone booth naked in front of people. You know what I'm saying? Like, we need the you right environment. But I need to be good. Yeah. And so yeah. like, you know, I I don't people I don't want to ugh. <laughs> I feel it in my stomach. Like I feel it in my you ever walk in and it's like you're the comedian and they go, there's a comedy show and you're like, oh yes, yes, I've I, yeah. I walked into a bar in a small town and there was eight people in the bar and there was no posters, no nothing. There was a white piece of paper that was printed off from a fax machine and it said comedy show tonight at eight. And I walked into the bar and I was like, what the fuck? And you know what they said to me? Did you bring your own mic and speaker? Oh, oh geez. Oh my God. Like, no. no. They literally, literally sent a man to go home from the bar who was drinking at the bar. They go, we'll give you a beer if you go to your house and bring your guitar amp. And he brought his guitar amp and they pulled out this toy mic and they clicked that bad boy in. And they're like, it sounded horrible. And I'm like, I sound like a robot. (laughs) See, that's what the the horror stories is fun with the camaraderie. Everybody loves to get together and tell their horror stories. Here's a horror story of mine. Um, I wanted a gig so bad because in Alberta, in order to have video, what do they call VLTs, which are video gaming machines, slot machines. And you can have slot machines in the bars. In, in Alberta. But in order to do that, you have to have live entertainment. Comedians oh. are the cheapest form of live entertainment. VLTs make so much money, it pays for the entire bar and the booze, and the booze become their 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 income, like their net. Right. So oh, the wow. so the the video game machines pay for their rent, their employees, everything, and they sell booze to pay themselves. And so they have live entertainment because you have to, because it's part of your gaming license. So now I went to this show. I had to drive across. I shit you not. I had to drive across a frozen lake. The lake was frozen. They put pylons on the lake. This is is a safe spot to drive. Yes. And then they tell you drive 10 kilometers an hour. Because if you do 60, you'll fall into the lake. Jesus. There's a frozen boat. Like the boat is frozen in the lake next to you. You can see that. So I drove across this frozen lake towards the Northwest Territories. I go to the show and um, it's again, 50 foot dance floor. I walk in the bar and I go, hey, I'm here for the show. And he goes, oh yeah, that's today. <laughs> that's not a good sign. So... <laughs> There's nine people in this bar playing on the gaming machines and smoking. That's how crazy this place is. You're not allowed to smoke indoors, by the no, way. No, exactly. These nine people are smoking cigarettes. They're like, we don't give a fuck. We're smoking. I say to the guy, where do you want me to perform? And I'm not lying. He points across the dance floor. He goes, there. And I mean, against the wall? And he goes, yep. And I go, where's the stage? Done. That is the stage. He goes, no, there is no stage. And I go, well, where's the mic? And he goes, you need one? I go, yeah, that that would be great. He pulls out a karaoke machine. 
Yeah, the one with the colorful lights and all that with shit. The, the, the disco lights on it. Pulls out a karaoke machine from the back and goes, try and see if this works. That's not something you say. So I go no. and I plug it in and, you know, it works, but it's terrible. You got to go close. So I go, I go, hey, nine people, there's a comedy show going on in 10 minutes. Does anybody want to come and watch the comedy show? They don't even look up from the machine. <laughs> they didn't even look at me. So now, <laughs> one young guy was on a date, and he's at the bar with this girl. And he goes, yo, dog, I'll watch the show. In fact, I'll even call people to come and enjoy the show if you're funny. He sits down in a chair and sit right in front of me, oh, like God. in a classroom. I just... Yes, he's sitting in front of me. I'm not making this up. And I have my karaoke machine. With and the lights. I tell two jokes. <laughs> yes, the lights are going off. I'm standing. Think of, okay, picture this. It's a bar where it's a wood floor for 50 feet, and then it's carpeted, and it's uh, slot machines, right? So I'm against the wall, and it's 50-foot dance floor, and then slot machines. So I'm against the wall, and there's two people sitting on chairs just right looking. Right in front of you. <laughs> I told three jokes, and he started laughing. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to call my mom and her friends because they're just down the street. So he calls them. Um, Ten minutes later into my act, the side door kicks open. I'm not exaggerating when I say kick. A Wait, foot came through open. the door first. The, their foot came through the door, literally. Okay? They kicked the door open, and ten people walked in. And the woman who kicked the door open, leading the pack, looks at me and goes, fuck you, we're not here to watch, and kept going. And the guy goes, who was watching the show, he goes, sorry, that's my mom. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm 20 minutes into my act, and all of a sudden, someone's dragging a full-size lunch table, cafeteria table, to the front of the stage. Me thinking, first of all, that's stupid and rude, but hey, there's going to be a bunch of people that sit so, there. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. So you hear, and this all the while while you're you're performing. Yes, this is while I'm performing, and I'm like, not before. Like, all right, go ahead, move the table, man, move the table. And they go, thanks. And I go, all right, come and join. And they go, okay. But they didn't bring that table there to watch the show. They brought the table there to have an arm wrestling competition, and they proceeded to have an arm wrestling competition for the rest of my act. And the guy looks at me and goes, I'm so sorry. I should have known this is what they would have done. <laughs> That's insane. And I performed one and I look at the casino guy and I'm like, and he goes, I don't care. And he goes, do your time. And he made me do the full hour to the people not listening, doing an arm wrestling competition. So yeah. Anytime people think Comedy is easy. Drive across a frozen lake to have a bunch of people tell you that they don't fucking care that you're there and then have an arm wrestling, arm wrestling competition right in front of you while you're telling jokes. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts so bad. It, yo, I had to go home and look in the mirror and be like, am I funny? <laughs> am I funny? Why wouldn't they listen to me? These jokes aren't good. You're questioning all your life good. choices up to that moment. Oh my right, God. Man, if, you, if you haven't cried in comedy, you haven't done comedy. You haven't done it yet. It's you haven't true. done it yet. You haven't done it yet. I cried. I've cried. I've cried times. too. <laughs> I've cried multiple God. times.
I have the worst stories. I have stories that are literally legendary. Um, <laughs> I'm the winner of the 2019 San Francisco comedy competition. A lot of people know that. But what you don't know is what really happened that night. So on the night of the finals, I was in first place by a lot. So much so that nobody in the competition could beat me except one person. But that person would have to win tonight. And I would have to be at the bottom of the pack. Yeah, you'd have to do so dismally terrible. Right. So yeah. everybody else is like, we're out. We're done. Sterling's already won. Okay. Um, the person that can beat me gets the bullet. And so anybody who doesn't understand that the bullet is the first position. And in a comedy competition, um, going first is the absolute worst. It's the hardest. The crowd is the coldest. The judges are the coldest. They have nothing to base the comedy off of, to judge the comedy off of. And so what happens is you end up getting the lowest score. Yeah. On average, you get the lowest score if you're first or last, depending on the length of the show. So she gets the bullet. So what she did was she's from California. So she invited a lot of her friends there. To the show like a lot and uh she did okay but she didn't kill you know but she did okay she had a good set so now i have third out of five that's the best spot you could possibly have and i had a great set so i'm like no matter what that set that i had you can't it's not going to be scored low enough that i lose standing on stage and I'm like I'm finally going to be announced the champion you know like I've been in this competition multiple times and I've been in the finals multiple I've been in the finals every single time and every single time I lost by like a hundredth of a point oh so like God. I've yeah I've been in first place this is how crazy it is I've done Seattle and San Francisco three times I've been in first place on the final night every single time but I've only won once wow so yeah, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I've been here before. This is the mm -hmm. finals on stage. And they announce me as the loser. I lost. They say I lost by one hundredth of a point. And I'm like, fuck you. And I store I I I shake hands because always take your losses with the same respect you take your wins. I shook everybody's hand. I walked off the stage and I walked into a it was a it was a winery, so it was grape bushes and fields. I walked in between the bushes where nobody could see me, and I laid in the dirt and I cried, oh. staring at the moon, saying, "How the hell are you going to tell me I lost by a hundredth of a point? That's like, come on, this, yeah. this, tell this, me this, I lost like, by fifty points, not a hundredth. A hundred, because because <laughs> the last time when I did Seattle, I lost by three hundredths." And I was like, I'm tired of this, which that one, I was like, come on, you guys rigged it. I was in first place so much. It was disgusting. Mm -hmm. So I'm laying in the dirt crying and I'm looking at the sky and I, I go, you know, what do you want from me? You know, like I'm in first place the whole, I won every round. What do you want from me? And I, I, I cry for a bit and I say, okay, you're being disrespectful. You're being a bad loser. Get up, dust yourself off, go congratulate the winner. So we're staying in this like mansion uh, in the winery. And so I walk to the winery and I dust myself off, wash all my tears. And as I walk to the gate, there's the girl that is the champion and her mother, her husband, her father, 
and the promoter of the entire festival are all hugging and she's crying. I'm just like, yeah, you know, she's celebrating, you know, big win. You, you pulled out a miracle. You beat Sterling Scott in the finals from the bullet. That's never happened in my life. The promoter of the show, John Fox, looks at me and says, there was a miscalculation. You're the champion. I'm so sorry. And then goes back to consoling them. And the, I'm like, what? what? I, so I'm like, what's going on? I go into the house now. And everybody's like, we've been looking for you. One, the, there's five judges, but then there's one person that tallies it. The person that tallies it tried to cheat for the girl to win. So he entered the wrong scores so that I would lose. And so they put me. So the only reason why it got found out was because John Fox was like a hundredth. That's a very tight margin. Yeah. Sterling yeah. had a good set. Can I see what Sterling's score was? And my score turned out not to be last. My score was actually second for the, so second for the night, right? Which would have kept you right high enough to And win. the girl came third for the night. And then another comedian won that night. So on the overall, oh. because he won, it made it cancel out everybody. Because the only way she can win is if, is she, she had to win that she night had to yeah. win. so he won and the guy changed the scores and put her scores his his scores hers in the computer not on paper so when they asked for the papers from the judges and they recalculated i had won by a landslide but i was never announced the champion so on the internet it had her as the champion oh. first and then they had to pull it down and yeah, post yeah. me and then there was huge outrage because she was the first woman to ever win the san francisco comedy competition but she never and the thing is she was never close to me like if you watched her act and my act you would never even think we're in the same realm it's just that in the competition you know what i'm saying like she managed to be in the top five and she was there but she's not in my she's not in my league and so people though don't know that they just saw a woman and then get replaced with a man and they were like this is bullshit so when i won there was huge controversy and everybody was like oh sterling never really won this is all a fix it's all a sham and like so you want to know about the sham <laughs> i have the biggest uh tainted win in the history of the San Francisco comedy competition because it's never happened before where they caught somebody cheating. Um, and here's the worst part. The guy that got caught cheating, uh, he, uh, they go, yo, how did you get these scores? And he goes, fuck all of you. And he got in his car and drove home. He goes, I quit. And he left. And the guy's like, Tony's been working with me for 20 years. I don't understand what happened, but he quit. He just quit. And Tony obviously came back, but when you win, they put you on tour. And so I went on tour in 2021 and because uh, of the pandemic. Oops. Uh, and when I went on tour, Tony was there. And there was that awkward moment no right at a winery. And there's the guy that- How, Why is he still employed with the- Because <laughs> it's like, they're really good friends. And oh at the God. end of the day, 
no one really cares, right? Like not a lot of people know this story. This is a very hush hush. We didn't talk about it story. Um, so Tony now comes to me and he's like, Sterling, I'm gonna come to you as a man and just apologize straight up. You know, I'm really sorry. And I was like, look, man, in all honesty, we good. You know what I'm saying? It is a competition. Who cares? It ain't that big of a deal. Cause you know, like there was, he was ashamed. This As is, he should be. This is huge. Yeah. And like so you don't it, was, do that. it was a huge big deal. Yeah. It, w- it was bad. It was bad yeah. because, you know, there was a lot of women who were furious because they were like, you cheated us out of the win. And I hate it because I'm like, I don't want to shit on anybody to let them know, hey, she made it to the finals and she's a great comment, but she stood zero chance against me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you so want to go hour for and... hour, like anytime someone wants to, like I use comedy like fighting. I'm like, do you want to go hour for hour? You want to go 20 for 20? Do you want to go 30 for 30? You do 20, I do 20. We could really talk this talk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I don't want to do all that. At the end of the day, in the record books, the first ever Black comedian in 45 years to win the San Francisco comedy competition, Sterling Scott. Yeah. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, man, there's a lot of wild wow. stories that happen in this game. And it's that not over. Wild. You know? I got to I got to hang out with Dave Chappelle. You know, like I I opened for TI. I uh, um, you know, and it, there's I got to do TV show with Tion, Dion Cole. I you know, hung out with Donnell Rawlings, you know, like the, 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 the comedy has so many beautiful moments that it's worth the cries. Yeah. You know, oh, it's worth the goodness. cries. If you're willing to put in 15 years, if you're willing to accept the grays, if you're willing yeah, to yeah, I got them. the weekends. <laughs> yeah, I got them too, yeah, girl. I got yeah, them too. I got, I got you them all. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I just yeah, got, yeah. that's seasoning, girl. It just makes us seasoning. taste better. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we taste better. Because you give up so much of your life. Comedy is a sacrifice. It is. Anything that you truly love is a sacrifice. Because I genuinely say I've given 15 years of my life. Honest. Given. And a lot of people need to understand going into this art form that the joys that you see are really small celebrations for the work that we put in on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. Which is why when I see you in Ottawa, I get excited because I'm not going to see you again for eight to 10 months, you know? Yeah. So yes, I'm going to say, let's drink, let's get food, let's do this because this is it for us. Yeah. Or till the next time or the festival. Mm-hmm. And when you put in 15 years, sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes that comic dies. You yeah. know, we've lost a lot of comics. Uh, you know, some great ones too. Matt Billen, we lost Matt Billen, and that was heartbreaking because phenomenal comedian. In fact, that's who I did San Francisco with um, the first time. And great comedian, great guy. So sometimes goodbyes are forever and you just mm-hmm. never know when. Exactly. And all that's left, I lost, um, oh my goodness. Out of, he's out of Calgary. And, um, you know, his name was Andy. Great comic. Man. We used to drink wine. Every time I came to Calgary, I'd stay at the house and we drink wine. And 
one day he just had a heart attack. 39 years old. 39. Got a heart attack. And nobody was there. Because, you know, like comics, we're usually alone a lot. Yeah. And he passed away, you know. And it's really why you got to like life. Why I say comedy is uh, equates to life. We have to cherish and celebrate each moment that we have. Because we don't know when that'll be our last. We don't know when it'll be our last festival. Maybe you never get booked there again. Mm -hmm. We don't know when it's our last club date, our last ride, our last show. We only know right now. Right now, let's get these giggles. Yeah. Let's get these giggles. Let's laugh. Let's laugh so hard we remember it till the next time we meet again. Because that's all life is mm-hmm. memories you know definitely and so it's it's given me an appreciation for life the same way i appreciate the art because when you see a master at work you know especially if you get to see them live um you can see it's like that's not something that regular people can do you know, it's that that's that's like watching an Olympic runner run the hundred yes. meters in nine seconds. It's like you know how many years it took that person to do that. Watching somebody like that is 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 a gift. And uh I'm happy to be a part of this fraternity. Uh I just wish that before I go, uh I create a piece of art that stands the test of time, you know, that people look at the same way they look at the Carlins and the Eddie Murphys. And the, mm-hmm. when they talk about stuff that changed them, that revolutionized them, uh, I would like to put some art out there that does that. And uh, that's the next quest, right? Like after you figure out how to be funny, now it's all about, you know, how do you become legendary? Some people don't want to become legendary. It's work. It's so much mm-hmm. work, you know? I think somebody type of work that I I don't mind doing it. I love it. Right. Well, like I'm talking the aspiration to become legendary Mm. is now, you know, like, so even more sacrifice because now you have to do things where you have to force your way into rooms you weren't welcome into, you know, you have to be selected where you're not selected. You know, you should, you understand a lot what I'm saying because you're a black woman. So like, first off, uh, you're a woman. So they're already going to put that pressure on you. Then you're black. So they're going to be like, um, so are, do you want to do like this show? Like, you know what I mean? Like they, they treat you like you're a special animal or something like that. Yeah. Well, we can't book her because we got a lot of white men coming in. So we can't do, and it's like, you know, you got to eat all of that. I eat all of that because, uh, once you get past that stuff and get through all that, you can see why we celebrate. You can see why we have fun. I mean, I don't know if you'll ever feel anything as wild as the breath from 5,000 people as it hits your face when they laugh at a joke. It actually comes on a delay, like two seconds. Like you'll tell the joke and be like, oh, it bombed. <sighs> the very I've, last I felt the force not yeah. of 5,000 people but I remember my very first the very first uh show I ever did and there were maybe 150 people 
and mm-hmm. yeah there's like a delay like a two second delay and then it was like <laughs> poof like it was like a force and yeah. i was like oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and i never it's experienced euphoric. that it's yeah euphoric. yeah euphoric that's the perfect word i uh literally was at a show where you could tell how good the comedian was doing because when they laugh the curtains shake and so if the curtains were swaying a lot, they're killing. Yeah. Oh and that's how power, that, that kind of power, that kind of, I feel like Mickey Mouse and Fantasia where he's yeah, like, with the wand and, water up. Yeah. Because you're like, you're <laughs> conducting the crowd. You're like, now you're sad. Now you're quiet. Now laugh. Yeah. Now quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Here's someone to- Now laugh again. <laughs> and you're watching. And if you, when you, when you watch a comedian with a tight act, it's literally like he's conducting or she's conducting because they'll be like, ha, 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 quiet, 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 ha, 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 ha,
um loving every every yeah it was easier because it's like these people know me you know what i mean like yes you can say things like now you start to understand it's like oh this is what it's like for you white people this is amazing i love this yes you guys love coffee yes because there were some references or i could i could substitute like say the original say the original way that i had written the joke i was like i can use that because it's a west indian reference and people will get it whereas i've got to canadianize it to to do it regularly you know like i can say things yeah (laughs) i have jokes like that where i had to canadianize it yeah because of the fact of the references the understand like talking about how in the caribbean we're very superstitious and so when i tell that show in black crowds and i start saying things like if your left hand itching what does that mean they know right and then when i start talking about yo when i was 12 years old and i had um uh what do they call it sleep paralysis and I start telling them like, you know, you, you don't sleep paralysis when you wake up and you can't move, you know? And when I tell my mom, she's like, oh, you're being held down by a demon and being raped. And I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? But in Caribbean culture, yeah. they go, yeah. That's yeah. exactly they what's talk happening a lot about to you. And, the dead and, yes. and we can't use funny words like doppy with a, with a white crowd. Like, That's what's a good doppy? word. <laughs> doppy is a great word. And it's a word for a ghost, but it's like, yo, kind of doppy thing is like, it's a fun word. And like, we have to, <laughs> we have to adjust a little, like the jokes are the same, but the references and the wording are not as, are not as honest mm-hmm. as who we are. And um, I know they always say, just do it, just do it. And I'm like, no, you can't. because yeah. my culture is not your joke. Yes. You know what yes. I'm saying? Like my culture, exactly. I love and embrace my culture. I'm not making fun of my culture. I'm not calling it no goofy stuff. Like if you notice, there's no jokes about my hair. You know, mm-hmm. like people are like, oh, you have an afro. They're like, no, I don't joke about that. My afro is my crown. This is not exactly. a joke. This is not a part of my act. This is not something that yeah. I laugh at. This I didn't do this as a gimmick. I did exactly. this because it's beauty. I'm literally yeah, like I, when I do longer it. sets, I have a, a set about uh, a bit about microaggressions and in it I say the the answer to can I touch your hair is always no no you can't yeah, yeah. and they do you want know? to touch my hair Every yeah they, they want to touch mine too They're like no you don't <laughs> is it is it do, do you sleep on it like, yeah is it all it? yours like <laughs> yeah so it's like uh my hair is is, is I love it you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. so like but like I don't uh do it in those crowds because I like I don't want racist laughter. Exactly. I want, I want I'm laughing at you because we understand how silly um our cultures can be. And mm-hmm. we laugh on that. I don't want yes. people laughing, being like, look at these silly bush people or something, you know what exactly. I'm saying? And, uh, uh, so it's like, you know, like I always tell people about like, be conscious of the laugh that you get. Yes. You know, especially with young black comics, don't come in being the stereotype. Don't come in and be like, yo, white people, you guys be doing this. And my dick is so big. And I be fucking all these white girls. And that's why I be like, don't be the stereotype. You know what I'm saying? Especially don't do that for the laugh. All you're doing is giving perpetuating the Yeah, you're perpetuating, but you're 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 giving into the easy laugh, the lowest grade level laugh. 
by disrespecting and insulting our culture to a bunch of people that hate us. You see, yeah. you go do that show in like a black black room and they'll throw you out. Yeah, yeah. Throw you out. Like, that's not for that. we, are. we don't do these things. What yeah. are you talking about? Exactly. You know? Exactly. And it's like you're out there talking to white people, making them think that's what you are. Meanwhile, if you went to a black room, they go, what the yeah. hell is wrong with you? Yeah, Get out. exactly. Who are you talking to? Exactly. Yes. None of this is us. You are exactly. disrespecting who we are. You know what I mean? It's That's that's another problem that I always encounter. I'm always scared. Because, you know, like, as a black comic in Canada, I feel like there's not a lot of us. There's not a lot of us that are headliners. Mm-hmm. And the very few of us that there is that are headliners, what is it like? You could literally call them by province, you know, in Vancouver is Dino Archie and Edmonton is me. And then we go all the way to Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> and in Toronto, you've got your, you, you got the multitude, you know, there's quite a few out there. Uh, a couple in Montreal, you know, that's it. Yeah, not a lot. There's probably 10 real solid headliners in this country. In the country, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy when you say it, but it's like, it's real. Like, when you talk about who are the 10 best comedians in this country, you'd have a hard time counting. Because mm-hmm. you'd be like, ooh, I don't, they're they're good, but they're not a headliner. They're not like the killer. Yeah. Good. They're just there. <laughs> so it's like, when you talk about headliners, we're a very small group of people in Canada as black people, probably less than like, I'm going to say 10 just to be nice, you know, because yeah. off the top of my head, I can't think 10. I could probably get to six. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> like I'm talking traveling, touring headliners. Yeah. I would say there's 10, less than actually. Oh my God. Just Daniel. I'm gonna throw him in just for good shake. JP is saying I'm struggling to get to yeah. 10. Wow. Oh my <laughs> I'm God. struggling to get to 10. But the point <laughs> is, as a black comic, I feel it's important to be there for the young black comics. Cause they have even less to look up to because of the fact that they can't they can't do what the white comics do yeah and what i mean by that is they can't walk into the room and just automatically relate to them and understand them and you know they're gonna and so what happens is they tend to play the stereotypes and they start doing low-end jokes and they go nowhere they ruin their careers and it's hard to explain it to some of them because they are getting laughs. But I'm like, yeah. you're getting laughs from racists. Yeah. You're not getting, not getting laughs because it's funny. Yeah. You're getting laughs because they're like, yeah, that's right, monkey. Yeah, yeah there, exactly. There. Exactly. You know what I'm that's not the laugh. You're trying, the, you know, yeah. we don't we don't want those laughs. Those aren't the yeah, laughs. Like I I'd rather have no laughs than those laughs. Yeah, I would rather sure. not perform. You yeah. know, like I try to tell this young comic out here one time in Alberta, like, you know, he's like, oh, I want to get paid to do shows. And I was like, listen, I don't think you're ready to get paid to do shows, but come down to my show and um, 
you know, keep doing, I'll give you stage time every single week until you're ready. And he got mad at me. <laughs> he won't talk to me ever again. And I started laughing because I was like, if you got mad at me for that, bro, yeah, you're wait. never going to make it yeah. in comedy. Because I'm 15 years in and it takes six months, six months if you're good to get on chocolate Sundays in Los Angeles. You know what it is to have someone tell, and you're not getting paid, by the way. Wow. So you get a spot every six months if you're good. More if you live in town and you're like top tier celebrity. So how would you feel about not being paid and you can only perform once every six months? You go get mad at them? <coughs> exactly. You know? Oh my so God. it's like, and I wasn't even mean about it. Like I said, you can come do free spots. And now he's mad at me. But here's the fun part. He still hasn't been paid by any of the white comics. Right? Mm -hmm. Like he ain't headlining none of their shows. He's not getting paid by any of them. But he's cool with them. Yeah, but he's mad at you. He's mad at me though. And so it's like, I just got to laugh because, you know, it, good luck to him. I yeah. wish no ill will on anybody. Nobody. This world has enough of that. Yeah. I don't need to We don't need more. any more for the contribute um, to I it. wish yeah. him the best, but I wish that he learns uh, humility and understands that what I was doing was trying to guide him, not trying to hold him back. I would yeah. never hold anybody back, but I'm not paying you $100 to come on my stage and go, all right, what am I going to talk about? Uh, oh, I hate that. Uh, I know. I'm That's like, you're so not ready. Professional, you're not yeah. ready. Yeah, you don't know how to do this game yet. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, and so, you know, I will continue to reach out uh, to young black comics um, and continue to keep trying to keep the bond with the veteran black comics good. I don't have any beef with any black comics in Canada currently. Uh, currently <laughs> living in Canada is what I'll call that. Um, <laughs> because we just don't have enough of us uh, to be doing that right now. And uh, we live in a turbulent time where we can't ignore how society views us. Right. And the words that we use and the jokes that we tell uh, are now becoming more and more important that we understand what we're saying and what we're doing. We have to take, you could say anything you want as a comic. And I will stand on that till the day I die. When I'm in the news for being in trouble, play this clip. Yes. <laughs> I, Sterling Scott, stand on this statement. I firmly believe that as a stand-up comedian, everything can be funny. However, you can get in trouble for a lot of things, and you must accept responsibility yes. for your words. Yes, that, I agree. Okay, I'm going to say that because it's going to happen to me. And I'm going to take responsibility for it. I don't care. Yeah. But never apologize. Never apologize, but at the same time, accept the responsibility for yes. the action. Yes. Because if you apologize, you've set a precedent where people can say what they're allowed to talk about. And you can't do that with comedy. Because the moment you tell us what we can't talk about, that's the thing we should be talking about. Yeah, exactly. There is nothing, nothing off the table. I'll give a point. To show how deep I go, a comedian who was white walks up to me in a bar and says, I have a joke and it has the N word in it. How do you feel about that? 
you know, like, do you think that's okay? And I said, there's two things that happen when you tell a joke on stage. The joke gets laughs and you keep telling it. The joke bombs and you stop telling it. Do you notice how I'm not involved in either of those decisions? So go tell your joke. Go say your N-word. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care when a white person says N-word. You know what I'm saying? I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about the guy who says N-word in his house but has to approve my mortgage. That's who I'm worried about. Not worried about that stupidness. Okay. I live in this real world. I don't sit at home in computers and look at memes and be like, I'm offended. I have to live. Yeah, exactly. We in live in a real that. world yes. where my skin color really affects things. You know, like exactly. when I get Ubers, when I get not a hypothetical, yeah. Yeah, it's not a hypothetical. It's not a situation. So it's like I I know if you're offended by easy things, they will control you that way. That's how they control you. If they can control how you feel, then they can control you. Mm-hmm. I give no control to that. Yeah. So no, I'm not going to react to that. I'm not going to react to the N-word. I'm not going to react to, I react to violence because you're going to hurt me. I'm going to fight you. But words, no. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the policy of the hotel that won't let me in even though I'm staying there because they're like, we don't know if you're staying here. It's the, it's the policy of the police officer to throw me in handcuffs, even though I've never committed a crime, but have me standing at the side of the road as a black man in handcuffs. I don't think you'd ever do that to no grandmother who was white. It's the policies that are enacted only when my skin color comes involved. Therefore, it's not really a policy, it's prejudice. Exactly. Because it's not something that you do every time. It's something yeah. that you do when you feel selectively. the need. Selectively, yeah. So right. Selective, exactly. And so exactly. you see, that's why I didn't care. Because there's white comics that have the joke with the N-word in it, and it's hilarious. I, 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 I And has anybody complained about those? Nope. Go find Louis C.K. Go find Doug Stanhope. You can find their material. They say the N-word, okay? Doesn't mean that they're not funny. No, they're great comics so i told this young comic that he went on stage said the n-word the joke bombs nobody laughs comes off stage then i go yep sorry you keep telling that joke he goes no no i'm not and i go do you see why i don't care because if you crushed with that joke do you think you honestly would have stopped yeah exactly right so this is why i firmly stand on the belief everything can be funny you can make rape funny abortion pedophilia i don't care what the topic is religion race creed everything is on the table okay in fact the scarier it is the more you should go over there Mm -hmm. but it's like the scarier it is the better you have to be as a wordsmith yes to be able to spin that yarn yes right comedy is like olympic diving in the sense that it's like if you tell a dick joke that's like a a seven you know what i mean no matter how good it is the best it could be is a seven you go up you go down we get it no splash good job that looks cute great dive (laughs) but when you want to talk about cancer pedophilia religion the vaccine all those things go into like super high level that the transgender gay you even you even say the word and the crowd shuts down yeah 
that's how crazy it is. And to be honest, those are the best jokes because they, they come from a place of you're, you're scared when you hear the person talk about it and you laugh really hard when you see where the joke went. But you got to be a good wordsmith. Yes, yes. You, you have to have, to a, you have, to have the skill first to be yeah, able to, like, to do that. I am still, like you see the joke that I did in Ottawa where I said uh, to the white people, were you there that night? Yeah, I was there that yeah. night. That that joke is the is the type of joke where it's like you can't just say that joke. You've got to set it up properly. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> like as I was doing the setup, everyone's like, "What's going on? I don't get this." And then when it drops, it what the fuck? <laughs> and I'm like, "Yes, I know." Strap in. This is yeah, a good joke. Exactly. And exactly. in order to, but like that's what I mean, like. I'm taking something that scares the hell out of this crowd. Like I went back to Nick's house and a black guy came to the house to talk to me about that joke. Wow. Cause he's like, all right, cool. Okay. Listen, the math is there. <laughs> no way in hell is this gonna go through what are you thinking and i'm laughing because i'm like this is how i know the joke is gonna be good i'm still working on it by the way but how i know it's gonna be good because this guy came an hour later and this joke where he's like i need to talk about that's a good joke so it's like i'm trying to go in that direction with it so why would i tell anybody else to not go in the places that are scary exactly be brave, but be smart. Understand the difference between um, analyzing and hate. Understand the difference between um, laughing at and laughing with. Uh, understand respect for uh, culture uh, as well as the individual and what they go through. And I promise you, you will still be able to make fun of them, but they will laugh with you. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Yes. I wish we could keep talking. I know. I, I looked at the time and I'm like, <laughs> I talked your whole podcast out. Like you talk I would love to do a minutes. part two if you're free some other time because I, I think there's so much. Two. There's so much that we two. can. Uh, there's just still so much that we, we haven't even scratched the surface on. On some I know. stuff, but uh, and it's like we talked for an hour and a half. <laughs> it's like, but I'd I'll, love, I'll, I'd we'll love do to do a part 20. two. You I'll know, gladly if you're do a free, part two. You I will know? gladly do a part two. Okay, like I say, I'll talk comedy till the sun. I love. <laughs> I am, but uh, um, yeah, let's yeah, have this like, as uh, a part one, and mm -hmm. at a later date, we'll, we'll yeah, we'll we'll do we'll do another to. date. So just please stay in touch. I will. Pleasure and honor. Good luck with your show tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I'll no talk problem, to you. Man. I'll talk to Later. you soon. Okay. Bye. <laughs>